Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 62. My name is Arvin. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPanPuppets.com, Acting the Fooliman. Hi, everybody. We also have another guest. Um, if you are on Lee's Twitter, you will recognize her. Please welcome Rahef. Hi, everyone. So, um, Rahef is here. We're going to talk about the Leafs. We're going to talk about some, actually mostly about the Leafs. But first, we have kind of breaking news and important stuff in our never-ending podcast quest to make fun of the Oilers on every single episode. They have decided to hire Ken Holland, it appears, as their GM, I guess, uh, signing him to, or apparently they're going to sign him to a five-year, $5 million per year deal because I guess they haven't looked at Detroit's cap sheet in the last five years. <laughs> I, I think this is terrific. I want to say right off the top. Now, the first thing I want to say about Ken Holland is that there is a chance that he will be okay because the Oilers really should not be as bad as they are. Like, I keep thinking of, you know, the Hippocratic Oath from medicine, where it's like, first, do no harm. If they get someone who just doesn't really fuck up for three or four years, the Oilers might still be okay. However, the thing about Ken Holland in Detroit is that he does not seem to have ever really mentally adjusted to how the salary cap works. And so maybe he's learned from his mistakes, and maybe he's no longer going to do what he did because he's not clinging to the core of a team that used to be great. But he would sign these, like, very mid-level or worse guys for, like, three, four, or five million for deals that stretch way into their 30s. Like, the Justin Abdelkader deal for a guy who is functionally a fourth-line forward has four more years on it at 4.25. So I think that that's exactly the kind of leadership the Edmonton Oilers need as they try to totally paralyze their franchise around their three good players. So very optimistic about this hire. Yeah, I, it seems like the Oilers were sort of basically trying to appear like they were getting someone from the outside. And they, don't want to, they don't want to make everybody more mad by hiring Gretzky. I feel like that's still their fallback option. And they're just scared of how that will look and like how the PR of that will look. I just don't understand how Holland is going to really help anything there. Because their issues are yeah. mainly cap-based, like you guys said. Yeah, it's... I'm looking at Detroit's cap friendly right now. It's fucking ghastly. It's really it's bad. so bad. <laughs> you, you know they have Franz Nielsen signed for three more years. Oh yeah, uh, he's 35. I love it. Oh man, it's like we we complain about the Patrick Marlowe deal justifiably. Franz Nielsen is 35 and is making 5.25 million on the uh, AAV for a team that is not really anywhere near the playoffs. That's the thing is, you know that gif of like, um, like the panda bear it's who just gif. like, God damn it. okay, look, we can't do this again, Arvin. We have to do a hockey <laughs> podcast, but you know that of a, like the koala bear or whatever. And it's just like, he's walking away and he lights the cigarette and just burns down the factory. That's what Ken Holland appears to be doing to me. <laughs> and that, that's a, you know, Detroit has uh, Larkin. They have some pieces there. They know they're probably going to be bad for a while. And Steve Eisenman is smart, but I just find myself thinking. As good as Ken Holland was for, like, I'm going to say the 90s up until 2005, like, he really was a very good GM once upon a time. But I don't know how you can look at his work in the last decade and think, this is encouraging. And they looked like they wrote him a blank check. Like, I think Rahev is right. They wanted to hire Keith Gretzky. Um, they kept making these extremely obvious leaks to, like, Jim Matheson and guys in the Edmonton media who would be like, Oh, my God. It was so good. It was like, Keith Gretzky's everything, name. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Everything Jim Matheson tweets is 
Perfect. <laughs> He's just... I Honestly, like, you can't even be mad at him. Like, there are hockey media people who I find, like, you know, frustrating because I think they're, like, they're dishonest or something. Jim Matheson is just doing his best, man. You know, like, I, <laughs> I don't think he can do any better than he has. And so he would... He would report things like saying that uh, Keith Gretzky's last name is actually a deficit in looking for a hockey job. And I'm like, I, that's the most mind-blowing thing I've ever seen. Like, yeah, definitely like, a disadvantage to have a last name <laughs> named Gretzky. Yeah, in Edmonton of all places, where Gretzky is, of course, not really fondly remembered. And I, all I can say is that this deal could work out. Like, they're hiring someone who is going to try and impose a coherent plan. And Peter Chiarelli had to, like... Like, he, he was doing minor surgery, and he kept amputating limbs. Like, that was his reign. And so if Ken Holland can do not that, he'll still be an improvement. But I would be really worried if I were an Oilers fan. That's all I can say. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, as you said, it's like, you have to really try to screw up a team with McDavid and Dreisaitl on it. I mean, it, it bears repeating. The Oilers had two different 100-point players. They mm. had the guy who was second in the league in points and second in the league in goals and these were two different players and they still sucked <laughs> it's yeah it's because like their top line wingers are like ty ratty and guys who are like ahlers like i was thinking this the other day if you trade patrick marlowe to edmonton and by the way i still hope in my heart that somehow that could happen even though there are a thousand reasons they can't um patrick marlowe is like probably a legit top six winger on that team which is horrible that's bad that shouldn't happen that's uh, really bad. Yes. The weirdest part is wingers are like the easiest thing to acquire in the NHL. I don't understand why they don't have any. Yeah, like it, it should be like the low value position, but they shelled out so heavy for Milan Lucic and he fell off a cliff really harder than I really think I could have imagined. Like I thought that deal was bad, but I was like, it'll be bad after three years. It was bad within like six months. It yeah, got really ugly. The thing with Lucic is that his play-driving numbers have actually remained pretty good. Like, he can yeah. move the puck in the right areas, but his point rate is just ghastly. Like, he can't finish, and his teammates can't finish when he's on the ice. And I, it, It's kind of—there might be some sort of rebound, because maybe you can commit yourself, okay, well, he's not going to continue being that bad forever, but, like, he's—also, the, the rest of his game is going to atrophy a bit as he starts to age, right? So, like, you've wasted— the good years, the potentially good years of that deal were wasted because of this terrible point rate and shooting and all that sort of thing. And now the rest of it is going to be wasted because now he's just going to generally get worse as a player. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The other thing about the Oilers, though, I don't think any of their problems will be solved until they literally fire everybody that works. Including the owner, to yeah, be honest. They, yeah. I don't think their problems are ever going to be solved until they get rid of everybody behind the scenes. So I guess the good thing is I don't know if Ken Holland is going to be a puppet for them. He kind of has mm. like, he'll kind of be able to do his own thing, I assume. But I still don't trust that he'll have full autonomy. Yeah, there was yeah. a quote no, from Dreger saying that he's going point. to have autonomy, but also that Bobby Nicholson's power is going to be increased or his role would be increased. And I'm like, hmm, that's an interesting thing to think about. Like we're bringing in this new totally autonomous guy who's supposedly free to kind of kick asses and take names. But also Bobby Nicholson, who I really think a lot of the rot comes from that, that office, is he still there. everything on Tobias Reader. <laughs> like, yeah, come on. That's not fair. He's like a third-line winger. At, 
At least when Toronto blames someone, it's at least someone important like Nylander. Yeah. <laughs> or even Gardner. Yeah. At least they have some like modicum of impact. Yeah. We're not blaming true. like we're not blaming like fucking Connor Brown for all our problems. <laughs> oh man. Although you know what? In the nerd community, we all blamed like the third pair right defenseman for like two years. So yeah, there was actually, some balance there. Um, but yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. We and actually, this is one thing that Katya always pointed out, where it's like. Roman Polak is not good, but he's also our third pairing right defenseman, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, it's it's a low leverage decision for sure. And I did find myself thinking sometimes, like, I know this is like kind of reductive, and I want to be clear, I don't believe in like plus minus or any of that shit in terms of like them being predictive stats. But when I look at those third pair guys who kind of looked pretty rough and they don't get outscored, I'm a little bit like, well, that's not really a bleeding wound to me. I guess is how I put it. Like, it doesn't mean that they're good. It doesn't mean that I don't want to improve on them. It's just like, I find myself thinking, okay, they're not really sinking the ship if they're going out and playing about even hockey um, on a going forward basis. But I found myself missing Polak at times this year. <laughs> Sometimes you just really want to see a slap shot, you know, 40 feet wide. Yeah, just not even in the same post or code as the net. <laughs> Jake Muzzin hits the net too much with those. That's true. We need him to be yeah. more. <laughs> It's just not the same. There's no that, that satisfying clank off the boards that you get with Polak. You know, you can't put a price on that. So. Oh, that that one goal against Calgary where it went in off like Travis Hamonick's face. He was <laughs> like at the he was at the at the corner of the ice. It was amazing. <laughs> that was worth all the all the time we spent with Polak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, we should get on to the actual point of this podcast. We're going to talk about the Leafs free agents. They have many free agents, which you may have heard of. And we're going to kind of just go through all of them and figure out kind of our feelings on them, talk about what we think the Leafs are going to do there, what sort of issues they may present. And we're going to start where you think we're going to start. Um, First free agent, very important player on the team, played a big role, media talks him up a lot. How are the Leafs going to fare without Ron Hainsey? (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly where I thought that was going. Yeah, I, I, I actually bit on that one and I'm like supposedly on this podcast. Um, yeah, so the first one, first one's Mitch Marner. Oh, okay. Um, Rahef, you, you've you've talked a decent amount on, on Twitter uh, about Mitch Marner and the idea that you know the ask apparently is from his agent is we want the Matthews contract, and you, you've talked kind of at length as to why that's not the case. Would you mind going into some detail about that? I just don't think that Mitch Marner is a like Austin Matthews is a comparable for Mitch Marner. They're com- two completely different players, and. Since entering the league, Matthews is basically top five in every single per rate production at even strength. And Marner isn't. I don't, you can't compare two players like that. That doesn't even mention that the things they both do well are completely different and one is more important than the other. Matthews scores goals and that's like the point of the game. And he does it better than almost anyone else in the league. I just don't find these two players comparable. I also don't think that Marner is as good as Matthews, but I guess there's apparently some debate about this that I'm not aware of. Yeah. So the argument you'll see is that, like, Marner has, I think, led the Leafs in, in scoring each of the past three years, right? Or, or, or either been first or second above Matthews. And in part, that's aided because Matthews has missed time in the last few years, right? And then you get into the, oh, well, Matthews can't stay healthy. You know, he's getting a surgery to remove some robotic element that was probably the source of his goal-scoring power this offseason. Marner has always stayed healthy and yada, yada, yada. And... Like, basically, the, the, the argument for Matthews and Marner being comparable begins and ends at uh, their points. Uh, if you look at points, to, like total points, Marner looks good compared to Matthews. 
but as you said, when you when you dig deeper into it, you know, when you look at um, per per game even, or and then per minute stats, Matthews jumps ahead and he becomes, as you said, maybe the best in the league, right? I think if you look at primary point rate, he's uh, second. It, he's second to McDavid, I'm guessing, right? Yeah, he's second to McDavid since 2016, and yeah, and he's and 21. His, yeah, exactly. That's his 19, <laughs> 20, and 21 seasons. Yeah. Right. Um. So yeah, it's. I don't doubt the veracity of the claims that Marner's agent is going to ask for Matthews' deal. And I think the Leafs are justifiably going to be like, uh, no. And I guess that leads to where do we think this is going to end up? Because there's been so much talk and so much anchoring and so much kind of playing through the media about this, presumably from, from Marner's end and often through, through Darren Dreger, to name one. Um, where, you know, they're saying, oh, you know, Marner should get 10 million, 11 million, should get close to the Matthews deal. And I guess, like, Fullman, how do you, how do you feel it's it's going to play out here? Uh, probably in a way that's disappointing. Like, I, I think Rahab is 100% right about Matthews not being a legitimate comparable in terms of play and production. And I feel like I have to get this in early in the conversation. That doesn't mean I don't like Mitch Marner. That doesn't mean that I don't think that he's a fantastic... Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, Ryan yes, good, good, to, good to get this through right now, actually. Yeah, because he's a fantastic playmaking winger. When we say he's not like uh, Austin Matthews, as Rahef says, we're saying he's not on a par with the top 5v5 goal scorer in the NHL. Like, Yeah, it's it, not a bad thing. Yeah, it's like, it doesn't mean anything about him uh, is in some way irreparably flawed. It doesn't mean that we don't like him on a personal level. Um I think people are kind of sensitive to, to this point. I don't know. People identify with him emotionally. Yeah, I mean, we've all been on Twitter, which is a mistake. But, um, yeah. So, so, you know, I think that that is, is something good to come in with. But I think that Mitch Marner was placed in the absolute perfect scenario to get overpaid. So I'm thinking, one, his center is John Tavares. John Tavares has a long track record of getting guys really paid off a 10, 15 point bonus that he adds to their counting stats. I'm thinking of Matt Molson. I'm thinking of Michael Grabner. I'm thinking of Kyle Poso. All those guys who winged with him in Long Island. For another thing, he's in a fever dream media market where he has, you know, Darren Dreger, as we've said, going off about like, you know, will Mitch Marner get the GDP of Venezuela or something like that I, on his next deal? Darren Dreger is invited to like Thanksgiving dinner. I'm like 100% certain at this point. Like, he's... Yeah. If he isn't, he should be. Yeah, like he's probably made Mitch Marner a non-insignificant amount of money. Yeah, well, he, I hope he gets a haircut is, of that. This is, this is something <laughs> I want to get into because um, people say that, oh, this negotiating through the media doesn't do anything. But it, it does. It anchors the talks. Uh, it anchors the talks of Marner above, you know, where we'd like to see them or where, you know, we quote unquote think is fair. And we'll get into what we think is fair later. But for now, let's just stick with this. Um, when you keep hearing, oh, 10, 11, 11.5 in the media... That, that sticks in your mind. And to Leafs fans, a lot of Leafs fans, if they signed Mitch Marner to like 9.7 million, they're like, oh, wow, yeah, good deal. They kept him in single digits. Yeah, I'm like, my feelings toward the, the way they're negotiating, besides me being just like upset with them negotiating through the media, they're doing an excellent job. Like you have to give them credit. And the goal is to get as much money from Marner as possible. And yeah. this is like a brilliant display of anchoring bias. Everyone is going to think he's taking a discount when he signs for what I assume will be either fail fair value or just above fair value. It's like brilliant negotiating. Yeah, they like they did a good job in terms of just uh, really setting the table there. And 
I don't, I don't want to quite say like, you know, the whole, the media are complicit in this in some way. That sounds kind of conspiratorial, but I mean, like the whole way that this has played out with the constant leaks from the Marner camp with, um, I, I don't even just mean the money, although you're absolutely right in terms of anchoring bias, like that's gone a long way, but this stuff that, uh, Marner feels disrespected by the Leafs where they didn't give him bonuses or something three years ago and they send him back to the OHL for a year. Like all this sort of stuff where you're kind of saying, oh, I might sign an offer sheet or something. This has been a pretty relentless campaign to really up that dollar value any which way but loose for six, seven, eight months now. And I think it has by and large worked. Like I think you can still make an argument that a fair contract for Mitch Marner on, you know, a six, seven, eight deal would be in the high eights. I think that that's like not unreasonable. And I think that comparable players like Nico Ranton and like Braden Point, um, who are closer to his level than Austin Matthews, are going to sign for less than he does. And I'm just sort of resigned to that now because I just feel like that's what's going to happen. Um, but it kind of sucks. That said, you know, if Mitch Marner really wants to push for $11 million a year in a serious way, and I don't think that he's going to because I think that on some level his camp is going to realize that's a really big ask. But if he wants to push at that level, the Leafs can't do that. You know, you can't overpay him by two, three million dollars. That's, you know, just a probably too much cap to sacrifice. And you probably are correct in assuming he can't just go and get it. I'm not convinced he's going to go and sign an offer sheet to go play somewhere else unless it's for an exorbitant amount of money that I don't think he's going to get. So Yeah. So actually now would probably be a good time. Let's just briefly state like, what do we think is a fair deal for Mitch Moner? And let, let's assume that it's um a 6-year deal, right? So th- there's there's actually there's a couple options on the table and we'll get into the other one later, but the long-term option, a 6-7 possibly 8-year deal, although that appears to be going out of favor with how players and their agents seem to be thinking about the cap rising, especially with the TV contract uh, the US TV contract getting renewed in I think 2021 um, they, they may prefer shorter deals in order to you know capture potential cap spikes but let's let for now let's say our two options are a six-year deal and a three-year deal right um, on a six-year deal what do you think he's worth ref I think he's worth nine million on a six-year deal and evolving wilds um, cap cap projection have him has him at the same number I think the absolute max I would do on a six-year deal is $9.5 million. If you get above that, he's just making more than any other historical comparable. If you look at, like, cap percentage. So I don't – there's no, like, precedent for him to make more money than that. That's yeah. what I think he should make on six years. Fuleman, what do you think? Uh, I think Rahaf is pretty much right. I will say what I think is fair is probably about nine on a six, or on a bridge it would be closer to 7.58. As I said, I think the conversation has moved off it so that I probably have to start asking myself, okay, if an offer sheet is really, you, you know, less imaginary than I think it is, um, and someone offers sheets him at 10.6, do I match if it's 10.6 on like a five year or something? I probably do. If it goes above that um, and it gets into that range of four first round picks, I have to seriously consider letting him go. But yeah, so I find myself thinking that what I think is fair is probably closer to uh, nine million per run of six. But what I think is going to happen is closer to ten. And what I think I would do if you put a gun to my head is maybe up to ten point five. Although Jesus, 
<laughs> I'm in yeah, pain it, thinking about the cap space. No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't be fun at all. And I mean, th- th- there's a potentially very diabolical offer sheet of like 10.5 over five years, which would not even be in the four first territory. That would be like two first, a second, and a third. Mm-hmm. They basically have to match that if if it gets if he accepts it. Yes. Now the the things I'm. I question whether he will sign an offer sheet, right? So I think one thing that typically gets kind of misstated when talking about offer sheets is like, will offer sheets be there? Well, it's not just a question of offer sheets being there. It's a question of Marner wanting one, mm-hmm. right? He has to sign it at the end of the day. The, the power is in his hands. Yeah. You know, Arizona can give him an offer sheet. If he doesn't want to play there, then doesn't really matter, right? So if the Leafs kind of say, look, we can pay you X amount on a six-year deal. We cannot go above that. And he feels X is too low. And the Leafs say, okay, well, you can try and find that money elsewhere. Otherwise, we're going to try and find a trade. Is that is he actually going to be willing to do that, right? This is a guy who, by all accounts, does really like playing with the Leafs. He has a million ad campaigns here to the point where, you know, Fulman and I discussed earlier uh, when we were talking about the Nylander thing, about how ad money is probably not a huge deal for most players, Marner might be the exception. He is the most marketable Leaf. Yeah, I don't know if he'd be as marketable playing in, like, Carolina. So. And also, he would literally become the most hated former Leaf of all time, right? And in a way, I actually feel like Nylander had more ability to sign an offer sheet because Nylander's life is not in Toronto. Marner's life is. His family lives here. Most of his friends, like his um, childhood friends, live here. Like his his life is in Toronto. You wouldn't be appealing to me, at least, to be really disliked uh, in that city. And I'll say another thing: there's nothing wrong with Marner signing an offer sheet from a moral perspective. He is totally at liberty to chase whatever he feels he wants with respect to this contract. If he wants to be paid a huge, huge, huge amount of money, and he feels that's the way to do it, he should. There's no judgment on that part, just like there was no judgment from us about what Nylander was doing. Yeah, all this but, comes with a disclaimer that, like, they the players have a right to make every single last penny they want. Yes. Yeah, but the Leafs have a right to negotiate from the other side and try to save some money. So, uh, you know... And, and and the obvious consequence is, you know, if, if you are going to chase the money, fans are not going to like it. Stupidly, in some cases, but it, it's a reality. Yeah, I mean, all of this is just sort of the weird, blurry effect that you get because it's... Not quite just a company. It's something that people are emotionally invested in, including, you know, all of us, even though it makes us sad. But um, at the same time, it is a business, and this is a a business negotiation. Um, And and so, you know, when I say on one level, you know, like Rahab pointed out, it's annoying that Darren Ferris and the Marner camp and Paul Marner appear to be negotiating through incendiary media leaks. But on the other level, I also say, well, they're within their rights, and it seems to be working. So, you know, you have to kind of keep in mind that, okay, in the end, that's the business. But when it comes down to would Marner sign an offer sheet, he would just have to want the money and the status associated with the big dollar amount more than he really wanted anything else. And maybe he does. There are people like that. But I have to admit that's not the perception that I quite have of the player. Now, if the offer sheet comes in, at a lower amount, and he thinks that he's really being, uh, you know, given a raw deal by the Leafs, um, 
you know, I could see that happening on, on kind of an emotional level where you think this is what I have to do to get them to take me seriously. But by and large, I, I think the right attitude with offer sheets is still probably I'll believe them when I see them just because they don't seem to happen. And I don't think it's probably going to happen here. Yeah. So, so. Another important thing is Kyle Dubas mentioned at the, the press conference he did at the end of the season that he wants to get Marner done before July 1st. So there may not even be an opportunity for him to necessarily like leverage an offer sheet. Mm -hmm. Although at the same time, if he puts that deadline and it's self-imposed, he is reducing his own leverage a little bit, right? So it's yeah, kind of I a think, trade off there. Yeah, he's gonna, the issue with that is, like you said, he has, he puts his own deadline and he's, yeah. I'm not sure, it's, it's, it's a difficult negotiation. And so much yeah. of it depends on the, like, the individual person who's involved, right? And, you know, in the end, we don't know Mitch Marner on a personal level. All we know is kind of what we hear and what we see from a distance. So ultimately, it's going to come down to his feelings. So Yeah, and I, I think what seems to be likely in terms of what's, what's going to happen is I do think the Leafs are going to retain. And I think, as you said, it's going to be either a six-year deal that's a little bit over where we would like. So we, we stated six by nine is kind of what we think is fair for both sides based on comparables and, and that sort of thing. It'll probably come in, you know, six at six by 9.5 or something, or, or, or maybe higher. And if we think a three by eight is, is fair, it, it might come in at a, they might ask for like a three by 8.5 or something. Um, and the, the, the thing is with the Leafs in the position that they're in, they can't really afford to lose someone like Marner just because he, he is, you know, at the end of the day, he is a tremendously talented hockey player. He is really good. And, you know, you can pick you can pick nits in his game. I think he is overrated by fans. Um, his play driving, his, his play driving numbers have never looked amazing, which is always kind of surprising to me. But we are looking at very small samples away from Tavares there. So, you know, you don't want to read into that too heavily. Um, so you can poke holes in him as a player. But at the end of the day, I think it, it's pretty clear to anyone who watches him and looks at his production that he he's really really damn good right and he is worth a lot of money the question is if you have to overpay him by 300 to 400k is that worth it just to have Mitch Marner on your team and I I think the ultimate answer to that is probably yes even though we would prefer to not overpay him at all because if, if you trade him you're almost certainly not going to get value yeah that's what it comes down to is you know you find yourself thinking bottom line gun to my head I'd rather have Mitch Marner on this team at an overpay. That said, you know, you can do that with a lot of players and you can talk yourself into wasting a considerable amount of cap. Yeah. And so it's just a question of how far can you push this? How much leverage do you really have? If you think the offer sheet is imaginary, if you think Mitch Marner is really benefiting from the endorsement deals, if you think he really wants to stay here, um, you can make a case that this is one where Calduba still can't afford to be a bit a bit patient, um, but as you know, was pointed out, it's true. He wants to get that wrapped up by July first, partly because he doesn't want the offer sheet exposure, and partly because, and uh, Katia was saying this on the site, it, it ties his hands. You know, if he doesn't know whether Marner's going to come in at nine or ten or ten five, his options for the summer for the other contracts, uh, some of which we're going to be talking about, are limited. And so, it's a $10 million question, basically. It's a question exactly. mark. Exactly. Yeah. And so you have that looming over you the whole time when you're trying to negotiate with Kapanen, with Janssen, with whoever. Um, 
So, yeah, there's a lot of moving parts there, and I think we're all sort of aware that we're maybe moving into a bit of a newer era with RFA negotiations. Like, the Nylander holdout was the longest that there's been under this CBA. Um, There have been long holdouts before, obviously, but we're now seeing young players really pursuing their leverage, trying to get paid quite young, with a realization probably that they're going to have their best years between 22 and 27, as opposed to when there was an expectation for a lot of players that their career might extend well into their 30s at a pretty high level. So I do think it's, it's very hard to predict off what's happened before, what's going to happen in the future. But when it comes back around onto it, I really am just hoping that Kyle Dubas can keep this in the single digits with term. I think that yeah. should be attainable, but I don't know. Katya brought this point up. I was talking with her yesterday, and, and she brought up a, a Bob McKenzie video when he was on Overdrive. And McKenzie essentially stated something to the effect of, you know, these really elite players now are basically just saying, here's what I want, pay me. You can't, you can't afford to not have me, right? And mm-hmm. it, it's kind of a different attitude to what um, a lot of people, a lot of RFAs had before. And time will tell how, how pervasive this is, right? I think the only... RFA contract that seems like an overpay relative to our kind of previous idea of the contracts that existed was the Matthews deal where he sacrificed very little or what we thought was very little in AAV in order to get shorter term right and that makes it seem like oh wow like the the Leafs kind of caved in there if that continues it retroactively makes that Matthews deal look more Mm -hmm. explicable uh if term discounts continue to be a thing then that changes, right? So it, it's possible that Marner says something like, yeah, you want me on a three-year deal? It's 8.5. I'm not I'm not taking like, you know, seven on an eight-year deal. Give me 8.5. Uh, and if at least say that, that's, you know, that's ridiculous. That's a, those are three RFA years. Do you have, we have full team control there. He's like, well, okay, sorry, too bad. P- pay me, I'm good, right? Um, so I, we'll see what happens. This is apparently a, a new thing. And, it's good in a way that players are, you know, using their leverage and pushing themselves, pushing, sorry, pushing the their management teams to pay them fairly. It's unfortunate that it happens for the Leafs at this particular time. Yeah, there, there's one other thing that I just think is worth pointing out is that a lot of teams that were kind of on the upswing, including a couple of the comparables for Matthews, including, you know, McDavid and Eichel. Uh, the Leafs got good very quickly. Yes, very um, good point. You, you know, Austin Matthews has never missed the playoffs, is one example. And, and so the fact that the team reached a pretty decent level of uh, contention, you, you know, they're not the best team in the league or anything, but they got very good so fast that there was a time pressure that maybe wasn't there in the same way with Jack Eichel. Like Buffalo knew they had to lock up their franchise centerpiece, but, you know, if they have a fraught negotiation with them that goes on for a little bit, you know, what's the loss? The team sucks anyway. So. The, the, the other thing is, the other thing is, um, when the team is good, players want will say, hey, look, I'm a part of a good team, pay me. Whereas mm-hmm. there's some aspect of hockey culture where it's like, oh, you know, we're, we're not a good team. We haven't earned the right to be paid like elite guys yet. Whereas Matthews and Martin are looking like, look, we're the two best players. And they, they might think this, you know, putting aside Tavares for a second. We're two of the best players on a really, really good team on top. We were, the Leafs were seventh in the league this year. They were sixth last year. So we're, we're 
two of the best players on a top eight team pay us. Yeah. yeah. They've recognized that their leverage is the team needs them to win. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's some level, you, you know, what I've complained about the Matthews contracts in the past. There are a lot of people who just said, you know, in replies to the posts that I wrote saying, like, look, that what else could they do? They had nothing. And I said, well, you could try and wait a bit and negotiate more. But it's possible Matthews just said, look, I have all the power here. I want to get paid. The end. And it may be that that was just how the situation broke down. So I don't think Barner should quite be in that situation because kind of circling back around to what Rafa was saying at the beginning, Matthews is not a proper comparable, but there's certainly a lot of pressure there. And there are a lot of factors that are probably going to mean the only question from my perspective is just how much is Mitch Marner going to get overpaid? Because I don't think this is going to be a value deal. Yeah. I guess at the end of the day, you have to ask like how much is too much of an overpay? So you have to draw the line somewhere. And I guess that's what Dubas's decision has to be. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably the bottom line on that one. God help us all for the next yeah. two months of it. <laughs> yeah, the, the the talk in the media is going to be annoying. And it, it's, uh, to some degree, and this is maybe a stupid sentiment on my part, I kind of want Dubas to play hardball on this because, you know, we, we discussed that. Like, yes, you have leverage. Marner has leverage with the fact that he's an amazing player. But if we don't really believe the threat of an offer sheet's there, if we do believe that there's things tying Marner to Toronto in a way that makes him unlikely to seek out another team, can you call his bluff to some degree? But then you also have to manage that relationship, right? You, mm. you, if you sign Marner to a six-year deal, well, we don't want to keep Marner for six years. We want to keep him for 10, right? We want to keep him essentially for as long as we possibly can because mm. he is an amazing player. So, yeah, there, there's a lot of pressures here. And I think if I had to make a guess, it'll be what you guys both said, that the contract's going to come in at a couple hundred thousand over, maybe even more than we think it should be and it'll reflect kind of the idea of like he's he's not taking a discount yeah well fun times it's hard to, it's hard, it's hard to run a franchise that's probably the bottom line it's like yeah wow. I mean, that's the thing the leafs are, are put in a tough spot where their four best guys are on value deals or you know overpays essentially right i think we'd all agree that neilander's contract is a pretty much fair value I think um, his is going to be the most fair out of the three. Yeah. I still Matt, believe it. We've been people are going to scream play. about that, but like, I think his will be the most fair. Yeah. yeah it's no, just I, a question I, of next I, year, actually, but I could see him living up to a seven very easily, for sure. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think it's it's ridiculous. I mean, I do tend to think that Nylander's counting stats are not going to look great even next year because I don't think he's going to play power play one next year, right? And people, for some reason, people never seem to understand that like, Power play usage is a thing. And, and they'll just look at, like, raw point totals and be like, oh, you know, let's say he gets, you know, 65 points. It's like, oh, you're paying $7 million for 65 points. It's like, okay, well, you know, look at the fact that he, he's probably not going to play on the top unit power play, right? It, you have to adjust for that. Um, but I do think he is a $7 million player, and I think that contract is fine. Matthews, more than I would have liked it to be, but again, it's Austin Matthews. He's the best 5v5 goal scorer in the world. At some point, you you just thank your stars that you have the honor of paying him eleven point six million. Yeah, I mean, I can think of a long period where we did not have anyone who was ever in this conversation in terms of like high paid players, or in terms of being worth large amounts of money. Like the team was Phil Kessel and you know a bag of hammers, so it was kind of tough out there. Yeah. But, uh, so it's, I think what what's going to end up happening is that 
the Leafs are going to have to really, really squeeze everywhere else on the roster. And we can talk about that now. So I think we should talk about the next two guys kind of together. Uh, Kasperi Kapanen and Andreas Janssen. They're both RFAs. Janssen has arbitration rights. Kapanen does not. Um, to some extent, they are they play the same role on the team of complementary scoring line wingers, uh, albeit on different sides. And uh, at different kind of points in their career, at least in, at least in terms of age, Kapanen is 22, whereas Janssen is 24. So I guess we'll, we'll talk about Kapanen first. How do you see this playing out, Ref? I think a lot of people are overestimating how much leverage either of these two players have, especially Kapanen. They're projecting that they're going to make 4 million, 3.5. I don't see that for either of these players. They just don't have a large enough resume. They haven't played enough games. So I think the Leafs should lock both of those players in into bridge deals and get them in around 2.5 or 3 million for like two years, two to three years. I don't think they're going to cost much more than that. Fulman, what do you think? You know what? My instinct is that that's correct. The only thing I find myself thinking, and again, I just said offer sheets are basically imaginary. Like they don't really tend to happen or get signed. I find myself thinking that if you're really convinced that Kasperi Kapanen can be a major contributor to your team, or if you just have a bit of extra space and you want to upgrade with Andreas Janssen, you can offer sheet either of those guys at $4 million per if you have the spare space, and the Leafs can't do a whole lot about it. Like, I think the Leafs would just have to say, okay, I guess we'll take the second round pick because the compensation is not really off the charts. And I think Kapanen is much more likely in that regard than Janssen, I should say, because I think he's, you know, he's a younger, better player. Again, that's not to say that I think it will happen, but that's the only thing that makes me think maybe there's a pressure moving that number up out of what would be a normal comparable range, because mostly I think Rahev is right in terms of, you know, where should this number end up? Probably around three, low threes tops for Kapanen. Evolving Wild has them both. Their most likely contract outcome is three years, three million. For that both. makes a lot of sense to me. I'm interested that it's not differentiated between the two of them. Andreas Janssen, we probably need left wingers more. For some reason, we're quite thin on left wing, whereas we're thinner at right defense. But... Janssen is also older, and Kapanen has that dynamite speed that makes you think that he really could be something, maybe. And maybe this is just um, eye test, or maybe I just got used to his virtues and started looking for his flaws. But Kapanen seems to have all this speed, and then every now and then you're like, could you do something else than just, like, He's drive He's a frustrating in? player. Yeah, like, he ha because I find myself thinking that, like, with that speed... You should be almost unstoppable. That's such a weapon. And he's clearly, you know, he's not uh, a stupid player by any means. He, he has some hands to go with it. But so many rushes were just him by himself firing a wrist shot from the top of the circles past the defender and not scoring. And there's this old, like, um, yeah. there's this old Micah McCurdy tweet that I'm going to paraphrase here. This wasn't exactly what he said. But he said, if you have a good, like, middle six player, your primary memory of them is going to be them messing up chances because... They're good enough to get chances, but they're not good enough to convert on them to the same way a top-end player would. And that, that basically encapsulates Kapanen in a lot of ways. Mm. Yeah. I think you guys have mentioned this before, but he's very much like a north-south kind of player. There isn't much to his game in terms of creating space for other players. So when you see him playing with Austin Matthews, 
and he's kind of just driving in on the right side and then firing a shot from the circles, you get a little bit frustrated. But mm. Justin Bourne's remarked on this as well, where it's like, it feels like Kapanen's play is almost irrespective of the quality of his teammates. Like you could put him with Gauthier and he'll basically just do the same thing as he does with Matthews. Yeah, I mean, really, he needs to take a pass from the defenseman in his own zone, and then it's kind of off to the races, and then the rush sort of ends around yeah. the, the hash marks at the latest. And it's like, you know, there's more to him than that, obviously, but... Yeah, and I think this, this underrates him as a player, because he is he is a legitimately good player. I think he's a top-six player. Like, uh, mm-hmm. he, he has a good enough shot uh, and good enough wheels that he gets into good chances, or into good places and gets good chances away quite a bit. He's had a very positive possession impact on yeah, most of his lines. Play. Yes, mm-hmm. and I mean, it helps when you can literally just pick up the puck and skate faster than everyone else to the other to the other side, right? That has that has real value. Um, as for the contract, I tend to agree with you. The the one thing is, you know, if we talk about this kind of attitude change with RFAs, where you know, if it bleeds down to the less elite guys, if Captain says, "This is what I think I'm worth, pay me," and the Leafs say, "We can't do that," sorry, like you're not you're not so good that you can strong arm us into pay, overpaying you by 500k because you know we can't afford to pay, overpay everyone by 500k we'll do it for mitch marner we're not going to do it for you his recourse is okay maybe i actually like carolina yeah i i also think that this is the one where whereas with the mitch marner thing i mean i think you always have to be thinking what is my best alternative to a negotiated offer to some extent like you have to be aware could i trade this guy but with Mitch Marner, like, we're not looking at a trade as any kind of realistic solution unless his attitude is, I need to be paid $13 million or something like that. Yeah. But with Kasperi Kapanen, if that deal isn't coming anywhere close to being wrapped up by draft day, maybe you start thinking about it. Like, I'm not saying I want to trade him. I think the Leafs should be prioritizing trying to lock him up because I think he's a very useful complementary player. But at the same time, it's like, if you do believe... Um, there's some threat of an offer sheet. He looks to me, honestly, like the most obvious target in the NHL. Like, I don't know if I'm crazy about this, but like, I really think that he just makes so much sense as someone to send an offer sheet to um, from another perspective. So I would at least be, you know, testing the waters on, can I get something back for Kasperi Kapanen and if this goes south? Again, the first, the ideal is sign him for three by three. But if you can't do that, then you have to start looking at your other options. Yeah, and I think with Kapanen, like you have to be far more sensitive to overpaying like you as as Rafa made a very good point earlier where it's like you accept that with Marner some degree of overpayment is is acceptable because you want to have Marner on your team the degree of overpayment that's acceptable with Kapanen is far less mm-hmm. I'd argue you can't overpay Kapanen or Janssen at all if you're going to yeah. be paying Matthews and Nylander and Marner what they're worth or more you have to really squeeze players like Kapanen and Janssen yeah. yeah, and you have to hope they really want to play here and that they, they don't want to, that, you know, if the recourse of you saying, well, find find somewhere else to play and see if you enjoy, enjoy it as much here, you have to hope that they don't do that, right? Yeah, it's worth noting in this context that Andreas Janssen is consistently betting on himself to make more money. Like, he picked up his qualifying mm-hmm. offer last summer, and we've heard that he turned down a couple of deals in the mid-twos for two and four years last year. Uh, sorry, around the trade deadline of this year. I believe it was reported. Um, am I remembering that correctly? He turned down no, four years at like 2.6? Yeah. It was, like, um, it was two years at 2.2 and four years at 
Right. And, you know, I think maybe he can do a little better than that, but I don't know. I don't blame him for turning those well, down. No. Um, I, I think he can legitimately say, okay, I can do better than that. But if his attitude is I want to do significantly better than that, then I'm sorry. It's, you know, bye-bye birdie. Like, that's not going to work. Um, as Rahab says, it's like you really just can't overpay them um, the, the way that you can with Marner, where you say, okay, we're going to really stretch ourselves to make this work. You can't stretch yourself to retain your seventh best winger or something like that. And Janssen's probably better than that, but like a, a forward of his caliber. You just yeah, can't. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't you know. think that he's our seventh best winger, but he's our, probably our seventh best forward, right? Captain's yeah. probably like sixth. Yeah, I was trying to say that, and then somehow the, the nouns got backwards in my head, and I just went skyward. This is inside podcasting. Sometimes you just implode. So, yeah, but I, I do think that there's a, um, a a real risk here of an overpay that I think Kyle Dubas knows that he can't take. He knows that he just has to keep these numbers down, and one way or another he has to get value out of this negotiation, whether it's signing them to a good deal or whether it's trading them if it comes to that gun to the head. He shouldn't have to lose both of them unless, you know, that they're both absolutely nuts. But it wouldn't shock me to lose one. That's yeah. how I would put it. Sorry, go I ahead. Think go there's ahead. an argument for maybe trading one of them too. Mm. I, 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 yeah, sorry. If you're going to get a defenseman, then you need to be trading someone. And I, the, I saw a tweet about it on Twitter. I don't know who you would be more comfortable trading. Yeah, I mean, at some point you have to give up as you said, you have to give up someone, right? We can't trade. As we meme about it, but Brocco, Brown, and a second isn't doing a, doing us anything at this point. <laughs> um, and, I mean, if you do believe in Brocco, then trading someone like Kapitan might have less of an impact than one would otherwise think because you know, maybe we're replacing with someone who's really good. I don't watch enough of Brocco to really make a determination on that end. And we'll probably we'll discuss him certainly at some point later in the summer of this podcast when we get into the top 25 under 25. Uh, well, the thing I think about Kapanen is that he's a better player and he's younger, and so he is more valuable. And as a consequence, maybe he gets you a more meaningful return in the trade. Like Kevin, Kevin Papetti has been workshopping trades like centered around Kapanen for Dante Fabro of Nashville. That's interesting to me. Um, he's certainly a, a prospect that I would be interested in. I've seen him. Well, I haven't seen him. I do not watch Dante Fabro on any kind of extended basis. I don't want to bullshit anybody. But at the same time, I've like eyed his stat line in the scouting reports for a while. But at the same time, it's like for Kasperi Kapanen, who is established capital T 20 goal scorer, um, who has a standout skill, who appears on highlight reels. I think that if you're trying to return another top four defenseman, your hope is Kasperi Kapanen. And I mean a top four defenseman in terms of playing like that right now. Like... I don't think that it makes, uh, you know, someone in Edmonton was mooting around Adam Larson. I don't think it makes any sense for Edmonton to pursue that. But I'm thinking if you want a mid-range defenseman, Kapanen might be your best bet. It may not be there. I don't know exactly what yeah. the market is for him. But he's the guy I can see returning you off something. Andreas Janssen feels closer to being um, more of a mid-level player who's probably not going to get overrated. Janssen, how does how does Janssen's arbitration <coughs> eligibility um, potentially favor in here? Like, do you think that makes it more likely that, given that he seems to be betting on himself, and if the Leafs don't table, you know, an offer he seems suitable, he does have the option to, you know, elect for arbitration, and then the ter- the, the team would choose the term of that, and presumably they'd choose a two a two year term. 
I wonder about Janssen is I think the Leafs can come out of that pretty much fine. And also, once you go to arbitration, offer sheets are off the table. So yes, yeah, and like I I find it hard to see him getting more than like you know the he'll probably get in the low threes on a two year arbitration award, which is not amazing for us, but not terrible either. Mm. Yeah, have you were going to say something? Yeah, I just I don't think arbitration will help him much because it's. The way arbitration works is they it's pretty rudimentary. They look at a lot at just pretty much points and comparables. And he just doesn't have enough. Like, I'm pretty sure he's played less than 100 NHL games. So he doesn't have a large enough resume to make much money going to arbitration. I don't think it's going to be a problem. Yeah, his, he's, he's played 82 NHL games. His resume, this, his resume is essentially boils down to, I had 43 points in 73 games this year. Right, so yeah, I think probably low low threes on a two year arb award sounds about right, and he he does potentially. It, I think the Leafs would probably prefer to get rid of Janssen over Kapanen, all else being equal. I think some people are souring on Kapanen because he really did have a putrid playoffs. Um, yeah, but you know the fact that he is twenty four or sorry twenty two and Janssen's twenty four that makes a difference. You know, Janssen's Morgan Riley's age. Yeah, Janssen probably is not getting a hell of a lot better. And as much as I like him, I like a lot of what he brings. He does not seem to know how small he is. And I always admire that in, like, a little player of his caliber. Yeah, he's, he's like, 5'10 and 180. Like, like I'm bigger than Andreas Janssen, and Andreas Janssen just, like, does not care about anything. He'll fight anybody. But I do think that, you know, you have to say, okay, if this guy really wants to push his dollar value to the maximum possible extent then it's probably not a fit for us, and it's a question of where else can he go to get it. Yeah, and you, you know, have to trust your ability. These players. You have to trust your ability to find guys who can replace him. Yeah. Granted, the Leafs are very weak on the left wing, um, but you know, as we discussed off the top with the Oilers, it's not something that is, in principle, hard to find. And it might, be, it might take a year to find it, but generally speaking, your team isn't going to lose like you know, 10 points because you couldn't replace Andreas Janssen. Yeah, I think that's fair. Although I will say, people are already saying, like, look, Trevor Moore is basically the same. No, he isn't. Please please pump the brakes on that a little bit. He's a cool, interesting young player. Now, Nick but, Patan, on the other hand. Oh, uh, I mean, Nick Patan is already a first-line left wing in my heart. But, <laughs> yeah, so, you know, you got to keep a perspective. These are valuable players. You want to keep them if you can, but you also can't lock yourself in too much and I, I think this comes back around to you know what we were talking about Kyle talking about was that having the Mitch Marner thing wrapped up earlier does help you focus on these negotiations with a clearer idea of where exactly your walk away point is and what exactly you're going to do about it so if Mitch Marner does get wrapped up and as we say it's a bit of an overpay then I guess the, the smaller consolation might be well at least now he can focus on these things and hopefully these negotiations can go a little better. I guess yeah. that's a small consolation, but... Do you guys have anything else to um, to add on this? Or shall we move on to, I guess, some other Leafs free agents? I guess just one more thing. I think mm-hmm. that they're going to be able to sign both. The question is, do they want to keep both? I think that's pretty much what it'll be with Captain and Janssen. Mm. Because, because as you said, like the, these are kind of the only trade chips that we have for defensemen at this point. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Well, speaking of defensemen, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Jake Gardner. And I think this is going to be short because it kind of comes down to, I would really like to keep Jake Gardner and I don't think we'll be able to. Pretty yeah. much. 
I, oh man, I wish it hadn't ended like that, man. Just, and he clearly was not 100% in the playoffs. He's done a lot. I know he's a flawed player, but I really like so much what he brings. But being tagged as going out on that one bad giveaway on, in Game 7, and people are going to say, see, that's all it was for all the years he was here was just bad giveaways. That makes me a little sad. I hope he's happy wherever he ends up. Yeah, so. and I hope I hope he gets paid, right? Like, if yeah. he, he, he's... Uh, been a great player for the Leafs. Very funny person. Very memeable. You know, what's not to like? <laughs> yeah. He has the greatest face on the team. In yeah. Terms of expressions. Unless, unless he's willing to take, like, a one-year show-me-your-back-isn't-broken deal. Yeah. I, can't, I just see no real way he stays with the Leafs because, you know, it, we're just simply not going to be able to afford him. That's even if we get rid of Connor Brown, if we get a Nikita Zaitsev's contract it's going to be tough to afford him no matter what. And, you know, he, he Gardner has never really had a huge payday. This is his first time hitting UFA, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a weak free agent class, especially on D. He is going to get money. Like, someone's going to offer him upwards of 25, 30 mil. Yeah, I have to think, like, that's what it comes down to is when people talk about the one year show me your back still works deal, he doesn't have to take that. And so he probably won't. So everyone's already kind of talking as if he's gone. And I think that everyone is right on that point. Yeah, mm. it makes me sad. I'm a little bit biased. I really like Jake. But I think it's it pretty much is up to him. I think the Leafs are still going to try and keep him. There have been reports that after they get Marner signed, they're going to they'll try to keep him. But it's really going to be up to him to see how much of a discount he'll take. And there's also an argument of if the Leafs even should keep him just because of his back injuries and how old he is and yeah that's and in the principle thing. in principle yes, they have you know one of the best parts of the jake muzzin deal is he had an additional year of term so you know you replace one jake with another essentially and you get a similar quality player albeit in a very very different package mm-hmm. so you know i think i think that was a smart trade by dubas for exactly this reason um and yeah like it, there's a very good chance the team that signs jake gardner doesn't enjoy the back half of that deal a lot, which is always kind of the price you pay in unrestricted free agency. You, you get a good player at the cost of, or at, at the cost of nothing but cap space, but often the back half of that deal isn't good. And the Leafs may think, hey, we have Louis Grant and Sandin coming in. We have some guys who could, we have Rosen who's going to play more of a role next year. Um, we can cobble together a defense core that works for a year until Sandin is ready or until, you know, we're able to graduate more prospects or, you know, bide our time and wait for an undervalued guy to get on the market. So, yeah, uh, unfortunately, I think that's really all that there is to be said about about Jake. Well, for, well, we'll always remember you, Jake. You were number one in our hearts. Yes. <laughs> um, someone who is decidedly not number one in our hearts is next, Ron Hainsey. He's growing and, on me, though. No, no, <laughs> Actually, it's a, he's growing on me, too. <laughs> Uh, Ron Hainsey is... I don't know what it is. He's a hilarious person, right? Just like the I, way he interacts with the media. He, he's very obviously a smart guy. Yeah, um, he is. And, but he doesn't give a shit. Yeah, he, he, he just like, gives zero care. fucks. Zero fucks. <laughs> and you know what? Katya said this, and Fulman and I tend to agree, and I'm curious to get your take on this, Rahef. There's a non-zero chance that he's back. Okay, don't hate me, but I would not be opposed to resigning Ron Hainsey. Yeah, no, I I think I we're actually all in the same boat. I actually around that same thing. Yeah, <laughs> we're all in the same boat there. The, the question is, you know, look, we don't want to use him as the number one right defenseman. 
Yeah, this all comes with a disclaimer that when we mean re-signing, or when I mean re-signing, it's strictly like on the third pair. Yes, and I guess we can run into an interesting question there about or do you tend to believe that Babcock just can't help himself from using Ron Hainsey in the on the top pair? Because I, I think that talking point is a little exaggerated, and I'm curious to see your thoughts. I think it's probably a little bit exaggerated as well. I think he knows he just doesn't have a lot of options. Yeah, so like that, that, that's the thing that hamstrung. I keep coming back to. Like, who, who's he going to play there instead? Nikita Zaitsev? Like, you could do the, um, the Riley-Gardner thing, or Muzzin-Riley. He doesn't appear to like Muzzin Riley. That's one thing I, I would... That's probably the biggest kind of contention I have with Babcock using Hainsey on top pairing right T. It's like, I would have liked to see Muzzin Riley a little more. But he didn't like it. The results weren't even bad. No, it, they, 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 they were fine. Bad, yeah. They were fine. But Babcock doesn't like it. That's, you know, his choice as a coach. I'm not going to sit here and tell him that he's absolutely wrong on that because I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean... I... I did always worry about Hainsey as the one right defenseman, and that was kind of my biggest beef with Babcock, and I've actually cut him a lot of slack because when the playoff time came, he used Muzzin Zaitsev, and I was pretty okay with how that worked out. I also do, frankly, want to trade Nikita Zaitsev if we can, uh, and so in doing that, I'm conscious that I'm really thinning out the personnel that play right defense. Like, Ozaganov is not a huge loss, but he's gone. And so you have suddenly a lot of uh, left defensemen, and then you're asking yourself, how ready is Timothy Liljegren? And my suspicion is certainly not ready to play top pair with Morgan Riley in the NHL. So I I'm sort of thinking, if you get him for cheap, if he's kind of insulating some of the bottom pairs, if he's not being leaned on too hard, maybe that's not such a bad thing to do for a year. Obviously, depending on cost, and, you know, there's no way we not only would, but like even can resign him at 3 million, but I don't think he's getting that again. So yeah, I cautiously would consider extending Ron Hansey, I guess is how I would put it. Yeah, for like one year as cheap as humanly possible. <laughs> one year at $4, yeah. <laughs> the other I don't thing, even think sorry, he's bad. Sorry, yeah, I, I don't even think he's a bad player. I just think the position he's put in kind of exposes how old he is. It's not his fault he's old. Yeah. He's been a good player for a long time. You know, for quite a lot of his career, he was like a really underrated, very good defenseman on these just god-awful teams that never made the playoffs, so he never got much credit. But yeah, I think, you know, he's still got some some savvy to him. It's just if you use him in the appropriate role, you might not be unhappy with what he gives you on in one year. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the other thing to, to mention in this to Fuleman's point where it's like, you know, if you want to trade Zaitsev, and I think all of us want to, um, you quickly run into less people or having very few people available on the right side. And unless, actually, even if you think Travis Dermott is ready for top four on the right side duties, which there's no evidence that he is at this point besides him cleaning up in bottom pair on the left side um, and, you know, doing well with Jake Gardner when they were paired together as well. But, I mean, everyone does well with Jake Gardner. Uh, you kind of have to get someone, right? Like, there, there's a huge, huge lack of people there. And, like, I just want to reinforce that even if you think Dermot's ready, that doesn't change the fact that we still need more right-sided defensemen. The only right-side defenseman they have signed under contract besides Zaitsev is Hall. And I think we yeah. know how that went, so... <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, man. We've, we've discussed it. I think, I think people are, 
like Justin Hall more than they should. I think it's literally just because the Leafs' defense is not typically great, and because we because Hall never plays, we never see him make mistakes. So like in our minds, it's like, oh yeah, you know, it's better than. How can Hall be worse than that guy? But I I don't think Hall is good. Yeah, I don't think he's gonna come in and fix all of our problems. Either yeah, it's so like, it's. You know, it, the thing that I come down to is like, do you think that Justin Hall could play sheltered third minutes and third pair of minutes and like not throw up on himself? Yeah, I think he could do that. But I think that there are a lot of players who can do that. And I don't view that as being a big solution, so to speak. Like we got, you know, Oziganov who came in and did that just fine. And he is like, when you look up replacement level player in the dictionary, that's who shows up. So I'm a bit like... Do I think Justin Hall can be any more than that? Well, probably not. So I'm just not that that fussed about it. I think there's a certain amount of backup quarterback syndrome. You know, they talk about in football. When the team is struggling at a particular thing, uh, the most popular guy in town is the backup quarterback. Well, when the team is weak on right defense, the most popular right defenseman is whoever appears to be next on the depth chart but isn't playing yet because you haven't seen them be bad. Yeah. So I think that's a bit what's happened with Justin Hall. So, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not too carried away with it. But. Yeah. One thing I just wanted to mention before we move on, um, evolving Wild's contract projections, I think are, are good to get a good, like a, a rough sense of where a player roughly should be. Um, but Ron Hainsey's is kind of nutty. Um, yeah, it was I, high. It was higher than it I It was very it would high. Be. And I, 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 what I imagine from a mathematical perspective is just that there's not very many 38-year-old players who sign contracts. So there's not a lot of data to train on there. But they say his most likely cap, or, or I guess contract, is two years at like 3.8 million. 0% mm -hmm. chance he gets that much. They yeah. also give him a 25% chance at signing a deal more than four years. 0% chance that happens. I um, would bet a, an enormous amount of money against Ron Hainsey signing a four-year deal. Yes. Like, I would bet my house on it, although... Yes. Yes, right me now too. Is a um, so yeah. I mean, I, I don't say that to like crap on evolving wilds projections. There, it's a very, very hard thing to do, and I think by and large, it's it's done fairly well. Um, but I thought that was just kind of amusing. Yeah, it's just a freak result, and you know, I actually don't know what the market would be for Rod Hainsey because, you know, as you just mentioned, it's kind of a weird spot to be in. He's quite old. He's still playing regularly, top four ish minutes. Um, I don't know what he, what he would honestly get on his next contract. And so it's possible that there's a GM who's still in love with some of the ideas of what he brings. There are still a lot of old school GMs. And maybe they would pay some meaningful amount of money for it, at which point we're immediately outbid, so goodbye. But if not, yeah, maybe that's not uh, the worst thing in the world to bring him back. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. All right. Um, moving on to, I guess, another you know Titanic Leafs defender, who is very dear to us, Martin Marinson. Uh, just keep signing Martin Marinson for one year at $800,000. Who cares? Just do it forever. Yeah, I mean, this is... <laughs> I actually don't mind keeping Marinson because I don't think he's awful in NHL spot duty, and then he's... He, like, he's AHL Bobby Orr, more than... <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, like, it's... You know, this is a quadruple-A guy. He might want to go back to Europe, you know, if he does, thank you for thank you for your service, and yeah. that's it. You know, and the other thing is that um, 
he seems okay with all play seventh defenseman or all play in the AHL or something. Now, some of this may just be that, you know, English is not his first language, so the media is not going to him for complaining quotes or something like that. But he just seems quite content to show up and do his job okay, and that's fine with me out of a seventh defenseman. Y you know, so... I, I mean, full disclosure, I know a lot of people loathe him because... They remember him vividly making insanely bad giveaways, and he does do that sometimes, and there's no getting around it. But I think he's fine as a third pair-ish guy in spot duty. Yeah, so. I was going to say, I don't have any strong feelings about Martin Marinson, like half of Twitter, who apparently... Oh, you <laughs> came to the wrong podcast. ...hates him. Yeah. Like, <laughs> my feelings about Martin Marinson are kind of like Justin Hall. They're both 27, and mm -hmm. they're both kind of just six, seven defensemen. So if you can re-sign him for really cheap and just have him sit in the press box, and hopefully you never have to use him, then I don't really care. Yeah. Mar the Martin Marinson wars were like, I'm going to sound like a grandpa, like telling around like my, my old war stories, but like there was a point where Martin Marinson looked awful, and more than like any defenseman in the league, he had the most insane Corsi. Like he would put up, you know, like 55% shot differentials. And this was back when Corsi was king in every one of these nerd conversations. So everyone was like, he should maybe be first pair. We can't say for sure that he shouldn't. And anyone like watching him was like, but when he gets the puck, it explodes. And so it, it turned into some really weird arguments about a guy who, let's be honest, is a fringy depth player. Yeah. But even even now, like if you look at his um, isolated threat on hockey viz, he looks like a slightly below average defender, which basically means like fringe, uh, like a fourth to fifth defenseman, mm. right? Which is higher than I would put him, actually. But yeah. <laughs> the, the stats have always been weird with Marinson. That's why, that's why I've always loved him so much. <laughs> he just doesn't make any sense. And sometimes yeah. you need that in your life. He's an enigma of a player. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so the last one, we'll, we'll go into a bit more depth here. Uh, Tyler Ennis. So he was a reclamation project from the Leafs, signed a, short, um, a, a low cap hit one-year deal to prove that he could still play in the NHL, which he proved quite adeptly. And I feel like now the Leafs should know when to cut bait. Yeah, that pains me. It, it's too bad when this sort of thing has to happen, but that's the mm -hmm. business. Yeah. The reality is, is that he's a cool fourth liner who can produce a bit more than you would expect in that position. He also kind of shot the lights out for a bit there. And if anyone is paying him like a non-variable amount of money, the Leafs have to say, nope, not touching it. Y you know, like as soon as this is like above 900 grand or something like that, we should be running out of the room. Like we just can't afford to fall in love with a depth player in that, in that way. Um, if he wants to stay here, uh, I would actually be okay giving him two years at a low variable cap hit. Um, it's going to depend on whether there's any kind of market for him. But if there is, I think we're gone. So. Yeah, I agree. And by all accounts, everybody loves him. Like, everyone in the room mm. loves him. And he's like, his personality is super fun. He seems so, like a delightful guy. Yeah. Yeah. But like you said, you yeah. have to cut bait. You have to, you have to keep finding players like Ennis before they become Ennis this year. Yeah, exactly. Sense. It was a great trip. Do it again. So... Yeah. Yeah. There's there's no shortage of um, you know reclamation project wingers with with some upside, uh, and you know I would hope that based on the success of Ennis and all the reports of like you know how 
good the league's medical staff is and how um, good their facilities are that those types of players would like to come here and say, I can, I can rebuild my career here in the media spotlight. You know, if I have a good year here, here people will notice. It's not like having a good year in Florida. <laughs> like, like Evgeny Dodonov has been like a top 20 skater for the past two years and no one knows him. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I honestly think that, um, and this has been suggested to me, but I honestly think that part of the reason that everyone likes Barkov for Selkie so much is because they want to prove that they pay attention to the Florida Panthers, which they yes, don't. very much so. so. Yeah, uh, if if Evgeny Dodonov like walked up to you and slapped you in the face, like could you would you be able to recognize him? I I could not tell no, you what he looks no. like. <laughs> no, not at all. And like. Huberdo, who was like a touted top three draft pick, and he had like 90 points this past season. He had 92 points. He had two points less than the greatest player of our time, Mitch Marner. Literally nobody <laughs> talked about that. No, no one talked about at it. at all. I don't know. And it's just like, it's a void there. And I don't know what it is about Florida. I guess it's just like the constant relentless mediocrity. But they don't even have like... Like, there's always a vocal cheering contingent on hockey Twitter, you know? Like, the Carolina Hurricanes, even when they were really struggling, I always knew what was going on with the Hurricanes. Because people were going to tell you, um, you know, their shooting percentage is, is in the toilet or whatever it was. Just no one ever tells me anything about the Panthers. So, yeah, they're just kind of a void. They'll be, they're going to get Panarin and Brovsky, so maybe we'll hear about oh, them yeah. more. That'll, yeah, that might help. So you never know. Panarin's going to put up like 110 points next year, and we're not. We're going we're gonna to look back a year from now. It's like, whoa, Panarin had a good year. Yeah, well, you should bring that up when he asks for a trade. But uh, yeah, so I don't know. The, the thing about Tyler Ennis is just that he's very much the case where I want to resign him on an emotional level, but the heart is going in the opposite direction of the head. I have to think that somebody is going to give him at least enough of a little bit of a raise. I don't even think he's going to get a ton of money or anything like that, but I just think it might be just enough to push him off our radar. I hope Edmonton signs him oh, for like yeah. way too much money. <laughs> <laughs> the dream is they sign him for another one year. He plays with McDavid. He puts up like 25 goals again, and they just give him like seven years. <laughs> yeah, and he'll be like 30. He'll be 30 by the time that year is done. They give him like yeah. seven years. Perfect storm. Exactly. <laughs> so... Yeah, but wherever you go, Tyler Ennis, we'll always remember uh, the one year that you had in our uniform. So, yeah. All right, um, were there, was there any free agents that I missed besides Michael Hutchinson? Yeah. Uh, Michael Hutchinson is probably... Yeah. yeah, all right, and cool. he's gone, so... Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, so was there anything you guys wanted to add before we head out? Mm, nope. Nothing too pressing. Okay, good. Um, so thank you to Rahef for uh, joining us on this podcast. It was great having you on. Do you have anything you want to plug real quick before you head out? I guess just my Twitter. Um, it's Rahef underscore Isa. And yeah, thank you guys for having me. This was a lot of yeah, fun. Yeah, <laughs> uh, thank you. it's a good time. Uh, she's a great Twitter follower, so you guys should definitely follow her. You can also follow myself and Fuleman at RV and AT Fuleman. You can find all of our work at pensionplanpuppets.com. And we're going to have a lot of off-season content coming out for you, um, draft stuff, and eventually the top 25 under 25. So uh, stay tuned for that. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you in a couple weeks.